Pray with me. Oh, Father, we humble our lives before you this morning and we confess that we need you. We need you every moment of each day. And right now, Lord, we need you to speak to us through your word. We need you to reveal your tender character to us so that we may get a glimpse of your glory and respond in faith. And so, God, as we confess that we need you, we pray that you respond and that you speak to us through your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to know you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. This morning we will be in Psalm 23, so please take your copy of God's Word and turn there with me. Psalm 23. There's been amazing research out there that shows that there is more of a flow to the Psalms than we may realize, that the Psalms are actually connected together and they're intentionally put together. In our case this morning, Psalm 23 comes in a context of a bunch of psalms that are talking about the Lord as king. And so by the time we get to Psalm 23, what we're going to see is that the king has the heart of a shepherd. Now this is not unusual. King David himself, who is the author of this psalm, he was described by the Lord right before he was anointed king. The Lord described him as one who would be a shepherd over his people. David himself was a shepherd before he became a king, and when he was a king, he was portrayed as a shepherd of God's people. A godly king has the heart of a shepherd. This is true for David, and it is true for the Lord. So keep this in mind as we look at our passage together this morning, Psalm 23. A Psalm of David The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. How many of you have seen the movie Homeward Bound? Any Homeward Bound fans? Maybe you have to be around our age. But in this classic movie, two dogs and a cat, they are dropped off at a ranch because their owners have to go on a temporary move to San Francisco. And so they're separated from their owners. We don't know exactly how far away they are, but they're far away. And the person watching the animals at the ranch 
they ha she has to leave the animals and go on a long um, cattle drive. And through some miscommunication, the animals are left on their own. Now these animals can talk, they're special animals. And so they were feeling abandoned, but they were also missing their family, their owners. And so they decide to take the long journey through the wilderness, it was like mountainous area, to try to make it home. In the wilderness, they knew that they were searching for home, hence the name Homeward Bound. They knew what they were searching for, but they didn't know how to get there. And so they were searching, and they were searching through the mountains in the wilderness. In the same way, we can know what we're searching for, but not know how to find it. And so we search and we search. Here's a few examples. We're searching for contentment, and so we try to do better at living in the moment. We're searching for rest, and so we go on vacations. We're searching for comfort, and so we hide in front of the TV. We're searching for victory over sin, and so we try to change our behaviors. We're searching for an abundant life, and so we buy an abundance of things. We know what we're searching for, but we don't know how to find it. What are some things that you're searching for? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, then you already have what you are searching for. In this passage, Psalm 23 gives us two reasons why we already have what we're searching for, and these are my two points this morning. So first, we have what we're searching for because the Lord is our shepherd, verses 1 through 4. And second, we have what we're searching for because the Lord is our host. So the Lord is our shepherd, and the Lord is our host. First point this morning, we have what we're searching for because the Lord is our shepherd. King David begins in verse 1. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. And this is a beautiful and intimate picture of the character of the Lord. And it shows David's relationship with him. David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. And so he's using his experience to describe the Lord's tender, loving heart towards his people. But it's not just towards its pe his people, it's towards David personally. The Lord is my shepherd. And David said, says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He has everything that he needs because the Lord is his shepherd. He has everything that he's ever searched for because the Lord is his shepherd. Now I'd like to pause for a moment, and I want to come back to that beautiful phrase, I shall not want, because verses 2 through 4 describe the Lord as the shepherd and the truth that we shall not want is rooted in the reality that the Lord is our shepherd. So we're going to come back to that. In verse 2, we see that the king's shepherd makes his sheep lie down in green pastures. Now, if you know anything about sheep, they are a little stupid. And they are completely dependent on their shepherd. If the shepherd does not bring his sheep to the pasture where there is green grass, they will literally starve. And so the green pastures that are referred to here 
are pastures that are lush and full of good grass for the sheep to eat. And there's so much grass that for a season the sheep don't have to move all around to find food and they can lie down. They can rest. But the king's shepherd also leads his sheep to still waters. Again, if the shepherd doesn't lead his sheep to still waters where they can drink, they will die of thirst. And so the sheep here are able to relax and drink deeply of this good, clean water. And David is using the analogy of the shepherd to rest in the tender-hearted character of the Lord. David, if you're familiar with his life, he was almost constantly running for his life from people who were trying to kill him, or he was struggling with sin. There was always something going on. And the truth that the shepherd will provide what he needs, including peaceful rest, encourages David during his challenges. Now we know that the Lord as shepherd here is fulfilled in Jesus as the good shepherd, as Drew read to us earlier. And as the good shepherd, Jesus makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. Our tender-hearted king shepherd provides everything that we need, including peaceful rest for our souls. Deep down, I believe that a lot of us are searching for things to give us the peace and the rest that we long for. But nothing will satisfy this longing except Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. Because only the good shepherd can feed us with the bread of life. Only the good shepherd can lead us to the everlasting fountain of living water. It is in him and only in him that we find rest for our hearts. As Augustine said, paraphrased, because God made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Only in Christ can we find the rest that we're searching for. David continues by describing our caring King Shepherd in verse 3. He says, He restores my soul. Now, continuing on with the sheep analogy, sheep are kind of a funny animal. Sometimes if sheep get really startled, they can tip over on their backs. And it's kind of funny to see a sheep completely tipped over with their legs sticking out. It's kind of funny, but it's actually very dangerous because most of the time a sheep cannot tip back over on their own and they could literally die on their backs. To use the language of Susan Hunt, when the sheep tip over, they need to be restored to a right position. And they cannot do this on their own, always. They need their shepherd to do this. In the same way, our sin tips us over, and we cannot roll back on our own. We need the grace of our good shepherd to rescue us and to restore us to a right position with God. And this is the heart and the beauty of the gospel, that by grace through faith we have been restored in the eyes of God. In Christ, we have been declared righteous by a holy God. In Christ, we receive his righteousness on our behalf. In Christ, our souls are restored. But not only are we restored, the good shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Paths of righteousness literally translates to right paths. 
And for the sheep, this is in contrast with crooked paths. So eventually the season will change and the green pasture will run out of grass. And so the shepherd, remember we're in Israel, not in North Dakota, the shepherd will have to take his sheep on a journey, usually through the mountains, to find food. And crooked paths aren't good for the sheep because the sheep could get hurt or they could get worn out on this long journey. But straight or right paths is the best route for the sheep to take. In the same way, our good shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness. Following our tender-hearted king in his commandments and his rules is what's best for us, even if we don't like it. Our good shepherd calls us to give up our lives and to follow him in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's not for us, but for his namesake. And this is the heart of it right here. That we will find the end of our searching when we find the end of ourselves. In other words, Jesus is both the end and the means of our searching. And so let me encourage you to follow our good shepherd for his namesake. But following the good shepherd on the right path is not easy. As verse 4 continues, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though could be translated as even when. So even when I walk through the valley, not even if I walk through the valley. In other words, following the good shepherd on the right path will lead to walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Again, the shepherd must lead his flock on the journey through the valley to find food as they travel back from green pastures. And again, they're in the mountainous, so I just want you to imagine being between mountains and it's dark time and it's very dangerous and it's an often deadly journey for many reasons, but most especially because sheep are an easy food option for a lot of animals, including wolves, and in this case, bears and lions. This is why it was called the valley of the shadow of death. It was a valley of gloom and deep darkness. It was scary and your life was on the line. During this time, the sheep are completely helpless and they must rely completely on their shepherd. And a good shepherd would be right there with the sheep every step of the way. And a good shepherd would be willing to lay down his life for the sheep to protect them. And because Jesus, because the Lord is the good shepherd, David can proclaim... I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The very presence of the shepherd was comforting to the sheep. And I just want you to imagine being there in the dark, scary valley, looking at your shepherd who has a rod in one hand, which he uses to beat down wild animals to protect you. But he has his staff in the other hand, which he uses to gently keep you on the right path. When you're in the valley of the darkness, you can imagine that it would be easy to wander off. And if you wander off, you have no chance. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, the sheep would be comforted by looking at their shepherd who is there to protect them and to guide them. 
And this picture of the Lord gave great comfort to David in the midst of his deep darkness. My friends, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know exactly what that will look like. Maybe you'll be viciously attacked by someone outside the flock. Maybe you'll walk through seasons of depression. Maybe you'll struggle with suicide. Maybe you'll struggle with loneliness or the death of somebody you love. But you will walk through hard seasons. And beloved, as you walk through the valley, I want to encourage you with something that I learned from Ed Hartman. Never doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. Never doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. In other words, don't shape what you believe about God around your dark experience. Shape your dark experience around what you know to be true about God. And what do we know to be true about God? We know that God sent his son, Jesus, to be our good shepherd who is with us. He's right there with us every step of the way as we walk through the valley. So as you walk through the valley, maybe you're there this morning. I want you to be encouraged that your good shepherd, he's with you. He has his rod ready to protect you. And his staff is right here, ready to gently keep you on the right path. And on top of that, we know that he has laid down his life, as the good shepherd does, to protect your position in his flock. We know that our good shepherd is also the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. And without sin, there will be no more darkness. And we know that he did this by dying a gruesome death on the cross. And my friends, it was no coincidence that when Jesus was on the cross, it was midday, and the land became darkness for three hours. Why? Because he was walking through the valley of darkness on our behalf. He's with us. But the good shepherd didn't stay in the darkness. He came out on the other side in victory. And through Christ, we can find solace in our darkness. In Christ, we can walk securely through the dark valley. In Christ, we can be protected by his rod. In Christ, his staff will keep us on the path when it may seem easy to fall off. In Christ, we can fear no evil because he has conquered evil. In Christ, we can be comforted in deep darkness because of our good shepherd. In Christ, we have the comfort that we're searching for. Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. And tying verses 1 through 4 together, therefore, in Christ, I shall not want. Jesus Christ is our tender-hearted king shepherd. Therefore, we lack nothing. There is nothing that we need because our good shepherd, he leads, he feeds, and he protects us. In Christ, we have what we're searching for. And yet, if we're honest, 
I believe that discontentment is a struggle for all of us. At times, we're all searching for contentment. John Henderson asks this assessment question, and don't worry, this will all tie together. So imagine this for a moment, he says. If you could see a physical picture of your soul, what do you think it would look like? Would your spiritual body be refreshed and strong? Would it be well-nourished on the word of God? Or would you look like a victim of starvation, frail, fragile, or dying? Now I ask this question, it's a good question on its own, but I ask this because sometimes our discontentment stems from coveting the life of someone who is spiritually dying. You look and you see the pictures that they post or you're, you hear about that they have the life that you're searching for. They have the vacations that you want to go on. They have the job that you'd like to have. They have the family that you desire. They have the friends that you long for. They have the health that you wish you had. They had the free time that you would like. And you look at all of those things and you say, I want that. When in reality, you're wanting something from someone who is spiritually starving. My friends, we do not need the things of this world to satisfy us. Even the good things. We need Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we should never go on a vacation or that we should, should not get a job or that we should not have friends. Those are all good blessings from the Lord. But what I'm saying is that they will never satisfy us. We will never be content if we're looking for it in any of those things. Because the Lord is everything that we need. Only in Christ can we say, I shall not want. Only our good shepherd can truly satisfy our souls. Only our tender-hearted king can feed and lead and protect us the way that we need. Only in Christ can we find true contentment. In Christ, we have the contentment that we're searching for. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In Christ, we have everything that we're searching for because he is our good shepherd and because he is our host. So second point this morning, we have everything that we're searching for because the Lord is our host, verses 5 and 6. David continues in verse 5, and he describes the Lord as a royal host who has prepared a victory feast for his people. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now this is very strong language. Just picture this for a moment. Picture an intense battle between King David and his army and one of his enemies and his army. King David wins the battle. He's victorious and he celebrates with a victory feast. But he celebrates in the presence of his enemies who are right there watching in humiliation. Here we see that the tender-hearted king is also our warrior. The same is true about Jesus. 
Jesus is the good shepherd and the warrior king. He is the good, tender-hearted shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He is the one who invites all believers to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, where we will rejoice and celebrate the victory feast of the Lamb. And I can't wait for that. But if you keep reading on in Revelation 19, it tells us that it will be a victory feast in the presence of God's enemies. It continues by describing God's enemies being humiliated and destroyed at the victory feast. And it shows the biblical reality that our tender-hearted shepherd is also our warrior king. And through our warrior king, we will have victory over all of his and our enemies. One of those enemies is sin. Some of you are here this morning searching for victory over sin. Maybe you feel caught in a cycle of struggling with the same sin over and over and over again. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, first let me encourage you that Jesus has conquered your sin. And one day, you will get to be with your Savior and all of your sin will be gone. But as you wait for that day, let me encourage you to not give up the fight. I think it was John Owen who said, you need to kill your sin before it kills you. But the only way you can win your fight is if you see Jesus as more desirable and more beautiful and lovely, that you see him as your treasure more than your sin. In other words, the fight is not just about changing your behavior. It's about a heart change that only our shepherd can provide that produces changed behavior. So let me encourage you to keep fighting your sin. Keep confessing your sin to God. Keep affirming who you are in Christ and keep asking for his help. It is only in Christ that you can have the victory over your sin that you're searching for. Now David continues with the host imagery in the second half of verse 5. He says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The verb anoint means to refresh. And this anointing or refreshing with oil is often used by generous hosts who wanted to treat their guests by anointing their foreheads with fine oils. These oils would have given the guests and the room a pleasant fragrance, and it also provided the guests with refreshment on their sun-baked skin. In this phrase, we see a picture of God as host anointing and refreshing the well-traveled psalmist. But the Lord as host also overflows his people's cups. And this overflowing cup means that God's people are able to drink as much as they'd like. Beloved, in Christ, our gracious host, our cups are overflowing. In Christ, we are given an abundance of life greater than we can possibly imagine. It's just not an earthly or a worldly abundance. And so it can be easy easy for us to search for abundance in this world. We live in one of the wealthiest countries in the history of the world. And yet we're still not satisfied. Could it be that we're searching for the wrong things? 
It is only in Christ that our cup overflows. In Christ, there is an abundance that we have that will satisfy us for eternity. In Christ, we get eternal refills. Now, I've actually preached on this passage here almost exactly four years ago to the day. And I'm going to use the same illustration that I used then because um, I'm not very good at illustrations. So when you get a winner, you got to use it. How many of you have drank out of the Coke machine at Qdoba? Or I think there's one at Burger King. Uh, maybe there's one at Five Guys. I think maybe you know what I'm talking about. It's technically called the Coca-Cola Freestyle Fountain. And it has over 100 flavors to choose from. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That thing is fun, isn't it? Like you get to do combinations that it's just crazy. Even if you're not a soda drinker, it's great. And another great thing about it is that if you're in the store, you get free refills. So you can keep trying things and keep trying things over and over again. It's amazing. But infinitely greater than the Coca-Cola freestyle fountain is the reality that in Christ, our cups are overflowing with the fountain of living water. In Christ, we fill our cups up with the Holy Spirit, which, unlike soda, fully quenches and satisfies our thirst. In Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ, we have been given far more abundantly than all that we ask or that we think. In Christ, we get eternal refills and our cup is overflowing. But our gracious host's goodness to us doesn't end. It continues in verse 6. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, just as a footnote, I believe mercy is better translated steadfast love. Maybe you have a footnote in your Bible. But this phrase is startling to me. How can David, of all people, say that goodness and steadfast love are following him all the days of his life? I mentioned this earlier, but there was only a few moments in David's life where things were going well for him. Other than that, he was on the run. He had people trying to kill him, including his own son. He was engaged in battle with his enemies almost his entire reign. And he struggled with some pretty spectacular sins. How can David say that surely goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life? The only way that he can say that is if goodness and steadfast love are not based on his circumstances, but they're based on the character of the Lord. My friends, take this to heart. Goodness and steadfast love do not mean that the circumstances of your life will be perfect. They mean that the perfections of God are for you in Christ Jesus. They mean that all of the promises of God will come true for you in Christ. Even in the valley, God's goodness and steadfast love will be with you. No matter your circumstances, God's goodness and steadfast love, if you are a believer, will follow you all the days of your life, even when it's hard. And at the heart of this goodness and this steadfast love is the promise that we will get to be with the Lord. And that's exactly how David concludes. He says, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. This phrase shows David's yearning for the house of the Lord. Now, the house of the Lord was the place where God lives. And David longs to be in the immediate presence of God. And this is more than just a longing. It is a reality. As he says, I shall, I will dwell with God forever. This is a promise that will come true for David. And this is a promise that will come true for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Jesus says it this way in John 14. He says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Our tender-hearted shepherd king has gone to prepare a place for us just like a good host would. Jesus, the good shepherd, became the lamb to die for our sins. He was buried and resurrected three days later. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven where he is now seated on his throne as the king shepherd. And he is right now preparing a place for us so that we can dwell in his heavenly house with him forever. And when he comes back, we will get to go home. And I believe that this is the core of everything that we're searching for. We're searching for home. And the house of the Lord is the home that we're searching for. Only there will our searching be satisfied. Only there will our hearts be truly content. Only there will we find the true rest that we long for. Only there will we be completely restored. Only there will there be no more deep darkness. Only there will we experience true and everlasting victory. Only there will we enjoy overflowing cups for eternity. Only there will we be home. My friends, in Christ, we are homeward bound. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know that the, the animals make it through the wilderness and they get to be with their owners. They made it to San Francisco. But the joy and the celebration wasn't because they made it to a place. It was because they made it back to their owners and their family. They got to be a family again. They were in the presence of their owners. The same is true for us. To quote Jordan Hens, home is where the Lord is. And in Christ, one day, we will get to be home. But as we wait, let us remember that in Christ we have everything that we're searching for because he alone is our good shepherd and he alone is our host. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, who alone is our good shepherd. We thank you, Jesus, that you lead and feed and protect us and that you are with us every step of the way, that even in the valley 
of the shadow of death, you are with us. Oh God, may our hearts be comforted by that reality. May we not let the darkness change the way we view you, but may may we view the darkness through who you are. Father, help us to be content in you. Thank you that you have everything that we're searching for. Help us to believe it and to live in light of it. All for your name's sake, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.